You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks. Natural Stacks makes 100% natural and open source supplements formulated with scientific research designed to help you live optimal. For more on optimizing your physical and cognitive performance, visit naturalstacks.com. You were looking for a way to change your life. You got it. I kind of think in some ways, selfishly, that it should remain a secret because it is such an advantage. Natural stack. Start optimizing your mental and physical performance. Optimize yourself. All right. Happy Thursday, all you optimal performers. I'm your host, Ryan Muncy. Welcome to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. Now, I hate to say that this week we have a special guest because I feel like that um, somehow implies that our other guests are inferior, which is not the case. Um, But we are excited about our guest this week. Um, He is a true leader in the evolutionary health movement, Mr. Mark Sisson. Mark, thank you so much for hanging out with us. It is my pleasure, Ryan. Good to see you, man. Nice to see you again, too. So, Mark, we've run into you a couple of times at conferences, and uh, we're really happy to be able to set this up. Um, you know, for you guys listening, Mark is the uh, best-selling author of the Primal Blueprint. Uh, like we said, he's a leading voice in the evolutionary health movement. His blog, Mark's Daily Apple, uh, was one of the first health and fitness blogs online. Has uh, really paved the way for primal uh, and, and paleo enthusiasts to challenge conventional wisdom um, through diet and exercise. So we're going to really dive in, um, Mark was recently on the Joe Rogan podcast, and that was an epic episode that has made its way all through um, the podcast stratosphere. So we're going to, you know, uh, we really agree with you, Mark, on a lot of the things you say. um, And I think that's one thing I want to preface this episode with is that we do agree with you. We like everything that you say. We want to just try to push you a little bit and and go a little bit deeper on some of those things. I know. I heard heard a but. (laughs) <laughs> we, we really like you, but <laughs> no, it's it's not a but. It's just uh, yeah. uh, there there are, there are questions. We want to go. We want to go to the next level with this. Um, so so I, I preface it with that because I want you to know, like it, it's not a we're not disputing it. We just want to know more. Uh, and and how do we how do we implement this? Um, yeah. You know. So before we really start drilling you with all these questions, everybody listening, make sure you guys go to. Uh, naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the video version of this as well as links and resources. I'm sure Mark's going to share a lot of stuff that you guys can go click on and and track down further information if you want to learn more. Um, Also, a couple of cool things that Mark and the Primal uh, family have set up for us. Anybody listening can use the code naturalstacks, all one word, to get 10% off of his books you can also use it at Primal Kitchen is what I'm told. So if you love the paleo mayonnaise, uh, save 10% there. Um, also, six lucky winners this week will get an autographed copy of Mark's book, three of each book. Um, so all you have to do is make a purchase at Natural Stacks this week. You're automatically entered. We will choose those winners at random, and Mark and his team will mail you an autographed copy of his book. So, Mark, that's really cool. Thanks for, for hooking us up. Such a deal. So also, if you guys have not done so yet, please go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Let us know how much you like the Optimal Performance Podcast uh, and share the Optimal Performance uh, Podcast with somebody that you know who can benefit from this stuff. Uh, you know, Think about when you started on your health and fitness journey. 
there was some resource, there was some person uh, that really helped you turn over some stones that, that led to increased health and wellness. So if this podcast does that for you, please share it with other people so that we can help reach more people. Um, I'm going to shut up, Mark. Let's, let's get the expert talking. Um, so, you know, like I said, we really do agree with everything you're saying. Um, last week we actually had Dr. Russell Jaffe, uh, on the podcast, or maybe it was two weeks ago. Um, and he told us that he believes that, uh, our health is about 8% genetic and 92% epigenetic. You're a big believer in, in how our choices turn on or turn off our genes. Do you really think it's that high of a percentage? That's as high as I've heard. And that's, a, that's interesting. That's the 92 and eight. I mean, I love that, but look, um, I like, I, I like to hear other uh, scientists, uh, putting those sorts of, um, ideas into, uh, into, into practical use. I, I would, I've always said, you know, your body composition is 80% of how you eat and, and 20% the rest of it. And I, I do feel that, um, probably 80 or 90% of people who are uh, present at a emergency room or a hospital with complications of whatever it is that's ailing them, um, have their lifestyle choices to, to blame for that and not their, not having been doomed by some genetic disadvantage in, in, uh, given to them by their parents. So yeah, I, 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 I'm a huge fan of looking into epigenetics as the way to, um, to extract the most amount of enjoyment, pleasure, uh, fitness, happiness, um, and health from one's life. So it's really, it does come down to choices. All right. So, and, and we know, especially from, from reading your blog, reading your books that, that for you, a lot of those choices are going to be uh, to become fat adapted, to go moderate protein diet, uh, higher fat, lower to moderate carb. What other, like, let's say somebody was, was brand new to all of this before we go real deep on, you know, mitochondrial biogenesis, how would you get somebody started into this discussion for, for, you know, the, I mean, I think the, the entry point to, to this for a lot of people is the recognition that look, sugars can't be good for us. So if we, if we all recognize we should cut down on the amount of sugar we take in, uh, if we all recognize that certain processed foods that contain omega six laden processed oils are probably not good for us. Uh, if we just, so if we just get rid of sugars, um, uh, processed carbohydrates and industrial seed oils, we're 80%. We're going to be using a lot of percentages in this podcast. <laughs> we're 80% of our way to, um, to eliminating some of the offending elements in our diet that are causing most of the problem. Right. Uh, but from there, it's just, it's just making minor tweaks. And so those are I, changes. Well, I just, I really like that because those are changes that people can implement that it, I mean, that's not very intrusive into your you, life. You really don't have to have some allegiance to a way of eating. Right. To to recognize that those sorts of things, removing those sorts of things from your diet would benefit you. And that's really when you when you hear people arguing over, well, I'm a vegan and I'm a, or I'm a vegetarian or this scientist or these, these doctors who espouse a vegetarian diet are, are getting these great results. Mark, how do you how do you account for that? Mm -hmm. Since you're talking about the same results, I'm saying what I say is I, I account for it because every every one of these diets is is benefiting greatly from what they're not eating, yep. not so much what they are eating. So we actually pulled some of our uh, optimizers. We, we've got a, a private Facebook group, um, and, and we asked them a question in there, told them that you were going to be on the show and, and asked them for questions. I'm, I was saving some of these for, for later to do a rapid fire, but I think one of these is perfect to ask you now based on, on exactly what we're talking about. So 
this is coming from a lady who says, you know, I listen to a lot of these health driven podcasts, you know, and sometimes the advice does differ. Um, but a lot of times it's along the same theme. So, you know, she feels like she's following all these different paths and it can become frustrating. Uh, so I guess, you know, would you say the answer is, you know, it's, it's as much what you're not doing? Um, yeah, well, first of all, there just understand that really, there's no answer. I mean, there were, again, we're talking about choices and we're talking about, um, the notion that, uh, if you go back to why we do this, we want to be happy. We want to be healthy. We want to be disease free. We want to be as productive as, you, as we possibly can. And in order to get to those sorts of choices, uh, to be able to make the choices that allow us to get to those end goals, we, we sort of have to have a base of knowledge. We sort of have to have an understanding of how the body works so that we can make those kind of choices. Or when we're listening to different experts in these fields, we can understand what it is about what they're suggesting that, that makes the most amount of sense. So I'll give it, you know, one example would be, um, you know, I'm pretty much an advocate of, of a low, lower carb eating style. Mm-hmm. Now, what does lower carb mean? Well, it means certainly means lower than five to 600 grams a day that so many Americans take in right now. Right. But how low is too low? You know, and so now at the margins, we're kind of tinkering. And for some people, you know, 50 grams a day might be an appropriate intake of carbohydrates. For others, that might be way inappropriate and they might need 150 or slightly more. So, uh, as long, but as long as you understand some of the biochemistry, as long as you understand how the body works, as long as you understand concepts like we are, uh, we are born with this amazing fat burning machinery that all we have to do is sort of give it the epigenetic signals right. to turn it on. Right. Uh, then we become good at burning fat. We don't have to take in so much carbohydrate to live an awesome life. And, and if you understand that an excess amount of glucose in the bloodstream is across the board understood to be counter, uh, antithetical to health, too, too much sugar in the bloodstream leads to metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, obesity. Um, uh, advanced glycated end products in the the aging process, reactive oxygen species. So, you know, a lot of scientists understand, and a lot of, and even now, a lot of lay people who have access to that sort of information understand. Well, you know, maybe if I can become better at burning fat, and I don't take in so much carbohydrate, and I reduce my glucose load over a lifetime, probably that's going to serve me better over the long term. But again. And I got to I got to say there there's no right answer here you know like I'm not going to get into a philosophical argument about <laughs> one's life choices if you right. decide you want to eat pizza and and drink coke all day long you know I'm not going to say you suck I'm just going to say you know if if you tell me that you want to be healthy and fit and 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 lean and and perform better probably that's not your best choice but if that makes you happy by the way just off tangent here I heard Warren Buffett arguing the other day defending his his coca-cola holdings by saying drinking coca-cola gives me such pleasure um and from what i've read the research indicates that (laughs) if i switch to water and broccoli i wouldn't live any longer you know and so i'm gonna go okay warren you made your choice you know you i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say you're stupid or you're a bad guy you made your choice based on the on the evidence that you had at hand right? right right so Anyway, sorry, Ryan, I'm, I'm waxing philosophical here, but this does get back to just personal choices and, and your job, I think, and my job, I know, uh, as bloggers, as podcasters is to give people enough information 
that when they make a choice, however they make that choice, they feel good about it. Mm-hmm. They don't feel guilty about having made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they you know, and they know they know basically what's going to happen from having made that choice, right. and they're fine with it, and they move on to the next choice, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you know whenever I get questions about you know is this the right way? Is this the best way? What should we do? I always start with the the preface that it's goal dependent. And, you know, what are you trying to achieve by doing this? And, and if you can, you know, give you an example of, you know, like a bodybuilder has a different goal than, you know, Mark Sisson today, right? You're, you're exercising, you're eating for a different reason than, you know, maybe a 19 year old aspiring professional bodybuilder. For sure. Um, but if you can find out, like you're saying, find out the, I don't want to say the motivation, but, but what's driving the, the expert or the person giving this advice um, you know, why are they saying what they're saying, then you can align with uh, or, or distinguish, determine whether or not what they're saying is in line with your goals. And if it is, then that's advice that will work for you or, or that maybe you should follow. I think people are attached to their way of eating almost more strongly than they're attached to their religion, right? So when you, if you have an argument with someone about how they're eating and, you know, that's the wrong approach because you're never going to change them. But right. what I tell people is sort of, you know, if you're, if you're following a way of eating, um, you know, you, I think your belief systems, as you're, as you're alluding to, your belief systems do have to align with the expert or the guru or whoever it is you're, you want to be following. You want, you know, as many of those belief systems to align with their overall overarching philosophy as possible. So exactly right. So, um, a lot of my people, uh, my followers, uh, my readers, you know, they're not really into the bodybuilding model because I'm not, I'm not either. Right. I'm into sort of a, um, a, a, a general theme of I want to have um, I want to look good naked for sure I want to have muscle mass for sure but I want to have some amount of endurance that right. allows me to enter a 10k and and do very well based on this, on minimal training um, I, I want to have fun when I when I work out I don't want to I'm, I'm not into a mindset like a lot of leaders thought leaders would say if you don't go into the gym and and you know and give it everything every workout then you're selling yourself short I'm like no, I don't. That's not how I believe. I believe now that 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 movement should be fun, and we should we should find as many opportunities to move and call it play, mm-hmm. as opposed to drudgery, uh, sacrifice, suffering, no pain, no gain. Right. Uh, it wasn't a real leg day unless you threw up, you know that sort of thing. <laughs> right. So again, you just you pick your pick your thought leader and kind of align your your entire belief system. Right. That's well said. I mean, I think for me, I'm going through that transition now of, you know, I've I've been in the bodybuilding world. I've been in that where exactly like you said, if if it's not leg day, if you didn't throw up and, um, you know, I would consider myself to be a a recovering uh, fitness addict. Right. So so to me, the way I look at that is what you described and and how I may have been uh, for the last 10 years was, you know, your workouts pretty much dictated your life. It was your life. You lived through that. And now, you know, the, the way that you are with fitness and what you're describing and, and where I'm going now and, and what we're talking about with natural stacks is that, that all your fitness pursuits, your health stuff should benefit you holistically. It should enhance your life. It shouldn't be, oh man, I'm trashed for the next three days because, you know, of my leg workout. Right. But again, that's just a choice. Right. Um, when, when, you know, when we think, for ourselves, it should be this or it shouldn't be that. It doesn't mean that that's the only way. Right. It's goal dependent and the other way is not wrong. It's just not what we want. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Right. Okay. So 
let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that you discussed with Joe Rogan on that epic podcast. Um, you talked a lot about becoming fat adapted. And, and when we do that, when we eat a lower carbohydrate diet for a while, and the longer we do it, the more we can upregulate that mitochondrial biogenesis. So I think that's one of the things that, that we're getting from a lot of our listeners is, is questions on, you know, what are some other ways that we can really increase mitochondrial biogenesis? Is it just through diet? Are there training, uh, are there specific training protocols that we can implement to further enhance that? Sure. I mean, any, anytime you're wanting the body to make a shift, anytime you're wanting the body to take valuable resources and build something that it didn't otherwise need until you created the need for it. Um, you are searching for, um, for ways in which to, to upregulate gene systems. So, uh, you know, you can, if you're deciding to increase the amount of mitochondria, the reason you're doing that is because, uh, like you can burn glucose all the time and you can train your whole life and, and, and in the gym or even as an endurance athlete and become a, a great sugar burner. And as long as you have access to glucose when you're training or when you're racing, you'll probably do okay. Now, we can argue what's going on inside your body and the amount of inflammation that, that may be causing over and above another method. But that's a legitimate choice that I used when I was racing. I mean, it, right. there was no other technology available. So right. I was a great sugar burner. I trained my heart rate at a very high uh, – at a, I trained to hurt all the time. So that was – that's the plight of an endurance athlete is, you know, how, how deeply are you willing to go to the well? How much are you willing to hurt over and above the other guys to get to the finish line first? But when you're trying to just, when you say back, you stand back and you go, okay, I, I want to increase mitochondrial biogenesis. How you do that is by creating the, the need for the body to want to burn more fat uh, on a regular basis to extract more of your energy requirements from fat and depend less on glucose um, or protein, for that matter, as a source of energy. So diet is the first line of defense. You have to get the diet right. That's, that's critical. Again, 80% of, of, of this adaptation is going to happen from manipulating the diet. But in terms of training, and we talk about this in the Primal Endurance book, mm -hmm. um, if you, there, there's a point at which you want to become efficient. Uh, so people say, well, look, Mark, um, you're telling me now that to become more efficient at endurance training, I have to train at a lower heart rate. Um, I, can, I know how to train. At, I, can, I can run all day or ride all day or swim all day at a high heart rate. Why wouldn't I want to do that? Why wouldn't I want to maximize that end of my training and get better and better at that level? Well, the answer is you, you, you may be able to uh, rev your heart at a high rate for hours at a time, but you're not improving your efficiency of putting uh, this uh, fat through the system. So in order to do that, but then you have to train at a rate at which you put the most amount of oxygen through your system, but you're not entering any sort of glycolytic lactate mm -hmm. building mm -hmm. um, sub threshold or threshold pace. Mm -hmm. We know that number through empirical testing over the last 20 years to be 180 minus your age plus or minus a few beats. Okay. So I'm, I'm 62, soon to be 63. So my, my aerobic, my maximum aerobic training heart rate is 118 beats a minute. Now, in the old days, I would have laughed at you because I could get on a VersaClimber right now and I could hold <laughs> 176 beats a minute for 
five or 10 minutes, right? Or I could hold 150 beats all day long. But when I'm doing that, I'm not improving my ability to burn fat. I'm not improving my efficiency. Right. So if we go back and we say, well, one eight, at, at, for a heart rate for me, 118 is the maximum heart rate at which I can put the most amount of oxygen through my body, but not be in a um, glycolytic or start to get into any sort of uh, real glycogen utilization. In other words, I'm, I'm burning 96 to 98% fat at that low heart rate. Okay. Now, some people will say, well, but Mark, I could, like, if I use that as my maximum heart rate, I'm, I'm not even jogging. I'm walking because right. I can get my heart rate up to 118. Well, that just tells me you're not very efficient. If you can't do the work at right. that heart rate, you've got a lot of work to do in terms of efficiency. So if you stay at that heart rate, that 180, in my case, 180 minus your age, and you do most of your aerobic training at that rate or lower and don't venture into the higher end, over time, the body says we're burning fat. We're great at burning fat. We're going to build more fat-burning machinery. That is, we're going to increase the amount of mitochondria because we're now be becoming very good at burning fat. As we increase the mitochondria, the mitochondria have their own DNA, and that mitochondrial DNA says not only are there more of us, but we are, we're going to become more efficient at putting fat through. And over time, you increase the amount of mitochondria just by doing that sort of low-level aerobic training. Mm -hmm. Now, can you do that in the gym? Can you do that by doing high-intensity stuff? Yes, you can. So also at the other end of the spectrum, by doing very high intensity, short, brief bursts of 100% of, of max effort, uh, six seconds, eight seconds, uh, 20 seconds, no more than 30 seconds with long rests in between, not just until you catch your breath, but maybe two minutes, two and a half minutes, mm -hmm. you send a different set of epigenetic signals to the muscles. And, and while you're doing that work, you're burning almost 100% ATP. You're, you're tapping into some of your glycogen stores to get through the workout. But the end result of the, meta, of the metabolites of that workout will also increase mitochondrial biogenesis. So you got the really low-end stuff that you can do. Mm -hmm. You got the really uh, high-end stuff you can do. You got stuff you can do. Uh, we talk about it in the book, maximum overload. Mm -hmm. So you can go in and there's some very specific weight training protocols that you can do that load your muscles deeper and deeper, load the fibers deeper and deeper, and over time give you the ability to sustain power over time, that will increase mitochondrial biogenesis. But ironically, what we've learned is that, that, is that there's a, a no man's land of, say, a heart rate of, you know, 100, uh, well, it's, um, it's, it's 75 to 90% of your max heart rate, right. where people spend most of their tra time training where almost nothing happens in terms of <laughs> upregulation of mitochondria because, because you're going uh, too hard to be burning fat and to be having that whole fat requirement taking place. You're, you're going so hard that you're starting to tap. You're, you're burning through glycogen right. every workout. Right. So every workout, you, you, you become good at burning glucose and glycogen, and then you go home and you replenish by carbo-loading so you can do it again the next day. Um, you're revving your heart rate at a, at, a, at a high enough rate that it can't recover on a day-to-day -day basis, mm -hmm. and yet you're not going fast enough to get the high end, the top end changes. So we call this a, a, a black hole of training. Yeah, right. And it's for so many endurance athletes not only spend a little bit of time, they spend most of their time doing right. it. Right. And as a result, over the years, I've seen athletes been training 15, 20 years. Um, they've been doing the same workouts for 15 or 20 years. And they don't get any faster. 
you know, and, and it's just mind boggling. Now, at some point after the age of 40, you're not going to get faster. But from the age of 20 to 35 or 40, if you're an endurance athlete, you better be getting faster every year from your training or your training's not working. Right. You know? Right. And um, so, you know, you meet somebody who's, who, who ran their PR marathon when they were 25 and they're 32 now. 32 ought to be the peak age for the, the real, the peak age for a marathoner. But, you know, Carlos Lopez uh, in, um, you know, in the, in the 84 Olympics, I forget what year, he was 37 years old, won the, won the gold medal, set the Olympic record for marathon. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a point at which you go, all right, if my training isn't improving, um, either I'm doing something wrong or I'm just, I'm literally, literally beating my head against the wall because I'm tired all the time. I burned out all the time. I get injured a lot. I don't, I don't feel a hundred percent. I get sick mm -hmm. more often than not. You know what I mean? So, yep. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm running off at the mouth here, Brian. <laughs> that's what you're here for. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's so right. by it, the way, this isn't a Heineken. This is a water. Okay. So. <laughs> I knew that. Hopefully our, our listeners knew that too, but now it's, it's clear. Talk a little bit more about the new book, Primal Endurance, in a little bit, because um, I know you touched on one of the, the topics that I really want to dive into with that. Um, but before we get off of mitochondria, um, I know you're also in the supplement business. You have been for, for years. So from a supplement standpoint, uh, manipulating mitochondria, um, BioPQQ is, is a new or, or there have been developments in that area. Uh, we're yeah. seeing mitochondrial enhancers. Uh, Dave Asprey, Bulletproof has unfair advantage. Um, uh, Axon Labs is uh, a company uh, that um, Abelard Lindsay created, Siltep, which is our flagship nootropic. He's also a product developer for Axon. Um, and Mitogen is a product that they have. Interesting, uh, Abelard and I were actually emailing yesterday talking about mitogen and he was telling me some of the things that he's able to do with that as a pre-workout and exactly what you were talking about with that threshold of 180 minus your age that he's now able to go harder and do more work yet stay under that and he can actually do it for like two hours he says and without mitogen he's not able to do that um five ten minutes uh, i forget yeah. the exact number but whatever I it is there's a, yeah. there's a significant difference, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I was actually telling him that, you know, for, for weightlifting uh, and for, for any other thing that I'm doing now, I take Mitogen as a pre-workout. I love it. Uh, on the weightlifting side, you get a huge pump, which is insane. It's, it's better than any bodybuilding pre-workout I've ever taken. But also um, the endurance thing, too. I, I'm able to, to keep my heart rate lower and do more work under that threshold. Um, which is going to increase work capacity, like you were kind of telling us earlier. Yeah. Um, you, what are your thoughts on uh, supplementing? And, and obviously, that's that's got to be some kind of a, a kick to help jumpstart your body to to start producing. More. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I PQQ has been talked about for a long time. Um, you know, there are a lot of um, there are a lot of performance legal performance enhancers that that we've been um, looking at over the years. Um, you know, some of them like, like creatine, for instance, mm -hmm. creatine is phenomenal. It's fantastic as a short-term ergogenic aid. Um, it, it just basically allows you to do, you know, whatever you could do 10 reps of now you can do 12 reps of right. that particular day. Uh, so you recycle the ATB quickly. And to the extent that having done that extra work, um, causes some amount of gene, uh, upregulation that you would not have otherwise been able to access because again, 
the body doesn't want to make these changes unless it's really right. forced to do so. Right. A lot of times you go to the gym, you do the same workouts all the time. The body goes, hey, I know how to do this. Right. I don't need to make any new machinery. Right. I don't need to change anything. I can go. And you think, oh, my God, I'm, I'm, I'm getting through that last. I'm going to failure. I'm getting through that last rep. Body's going, yeah, you know what? The, ma- the, the brain just says, nope, we're done. That's it. So some of these ergogenic aids allow you to get through a workout um, uh, with more work having been accomplished. And it may be sh- a short-term benefit that, that happens as a result of these, some of these sort of mitochondrial um, uh, upregulators. They may, may, not, may not, in fact, um, if, work at the level of, of uh, biochemistry by taking the, the supplement immediately and then having some upregulation of, of, of uh, some genetic expression, but in fact may allow you to do more work which then causes the metabolites to, to upregulate the, the genetic machinery. Mm-hmm. So however that happens, as long as they're legal, as long as they're safe, as long as they're, um, they've been shown to be effective, yeah. and as long as like, – I, I experiment with a lot of this stuff all the time. I'm, I'm always interested in, in that particular area of how can, I get, um, how can I get the most amount of benefit from the least <laughs> amount of struggle and sacrifice. Right? Right. That's really what we're after. Right. Um, and, you know – and because I was the anti-doping commissioner for the sport of triathlon worldwide for 15 years, I spent a lot of time looking at ergogenic aid, at PED, mm-hmm. at at what should be legal and what shouldn't be banned. And and so I'm always interested in some of these new uh, new configurations. Um, I'm now experimenting with uh, you know with ketone salts uh, mm-hmm. pre-training. So you know I'm. I went out uh, the other day, played two hours of ultimate in the hot sun, uh, having uh, fasted since the night before, but only having consumed um, one of the new ketone salt products. And I had a great, a great workout because I knew that I was accessing ketones uh, that I was generating myself as well as the exogenous ketones. So all of these different um, new products, are many of them are very exciting. And, mm-hmm. ne- and I think that for instance, the next breakthrough in um, in endurance performance at the level of marathon is going to happen from a combination of low carb training, cyclic ketogenic training, mm-hmm. uh, uh, maximum overload work in the gym, mm-hmm. um, and the use of ketone salts, uh, certain legal um, uh, things like PQQ. Right. Um, <clears throat> the combination of all these things that come together and allow the athlete to tap into the fuel, which is the real sort of limiting factor in a lot of uh, endurance athletics, the ability to to access fats at a at a high enough rate that when you're running 440 a mile, you're still both mostly burning fats, and you and you spare glycogen in that event. Right. So um, yeah, I'm I'm I mean, look, I'm I've been in the supplement business for 35 years. I've designed supplements for other companies. I'm always looking at stuff like that. Well, one of my questions was going to be you know, what are you experimenting with? What, what has you excited? So you kind of took that one and, and ran with it without even me having to ask it. So I guess what I want to know now is you, you talked about this being the future or possibly the future for um, endurance athletes. Is it limited to endurance sports or, or can we see this type of, you know, breakthrough? No, in so so anything that works for, yeah, anything that works for endurance, endurance athletes is going to work for what I call citizen athletes, you know, age groupers who are doing races, uh, of any length, just to just just to have fun, uh, right down to people who are looking to lose weight. Because 
Um, when I say that we are looking to um, be better at accessing certain uh, fuel partitioning, uh, it really does come down to how good are you at burning fat. Well, if you're a person who's overweight and you're trying to lose weight, how good you are at burning fat is like ought to be your number one goal, right? And so if we take the technology that we develop at the highest level with the elites and their performance is now being shown to be, um, it's quantifiable for sure. Who, who crossed the finish line first? Who set the world record? We take that same technology and we apply it to people who are just wanting to, to become uh, more, um, to become leaner, to become stronger, have more lean body mass, uh, to be better at burning fat, to have more energy throughout the day, to not get sick as often, uh, to, um, you know, all the things that we, I think we all share these sort of common basic goals about how we want to live our lives. All that technology applies to everyone. I, I'm laughing because I don't know that I've ever heard someone say it exactly that way. And it's just kind of funny. You said, you know, if someone wants to lose fat, how good are you at burning fat? And I mean, I think that's, that's simple and profound. And, you know, the average person, when you look at, when you pick up magazines on a newsstand, it's, you know, burn more calories and eat this and do this. And it, it, it never really addresses what you just said, uh, you know, yeah. is your metabolic machinery efficient at burning yeah. fat? Yeah. All right. By the way, metabolic machinery being efficient is an interesting concept in and of itself, because I think a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, I don't want to be efficient. I want to be wasting calories, don't I? I want to be, um, don't I want to be able to eat as much as I can and not gain weight? And uh, don't I want to be, you know, and so people will say, well, the reason I run is because I like to eat, you know, or the reason I train so hard is I like to eat. And I'm like, well, I like to eat too. And I try to, you know, but I, but I, I don't feel compelled to eat as much as I possibly can just because I can get away with it. You know, right. I mean? so that we, now we have to start lo looking at other factors in, in, um, human psychology, which is, okay, why do you think you need to eat so much? Uh, can you get to the point where a meal is, is defined as whatever it takes to take the edge off hunger and satisfy me? Um, and, and is not defined by what's left on my plate or did I finish, did I finish everything and earn dessert or, you know, all these sort of, um, societal precepts that we have going into it. But in fact, is, are we able to, to harness our appetite in such a way that our appetite works for us? And so, mm -hmm. so our appetite, you know, if I wake up in the morning and I'm not hungry, I'm not going to eat. I've got all the energy I need to get to wherever, wherever I need to be. So right. one of the first things we learn in the primal blueprint is, um, if you're not hungry, do not feel compelled to eat. When you are hungry, eat as much as, as it's going to require to take the edge off the hunger. Don't eat until you're full, but eat until you basically have developed a skill where you go, and after you've had 10 or 15 bites, you sort of subconsciously ask yourself, am I really hungry for the next bite? You know, if the answer is yes, eat it. And if the answer is no, push the plate away and say, you know what, I'm done for now. Um, my body's so good at burning fat that if I have any sort of a episode throughout the day where I need more energy, my body's going to know that it can take fat off my ass, thighs, my my hips, or my stomach, and not compel me to go to a bagel or compel me to go to some gel pack or something else for an exogenous quick hit of of of, of high octane rocket fuel. Right. And these are these are just life skills that we sort of teach. 
where you become, again, when you become a fat burning beast, there's an empowerment that you, that you're always going to have enough energy to get you not just to the next meal, but probably if you needed to through the next two or three days, because look, our genes evolved in this crucible of hard times and scarcity over millions of years where there weren't three square meals a day. You know, there was one or two meals a day. There was some foraging when food was available. There was a little bit of overeating when, when an excess of food was available. But there were times when there was three, four, five days between real meals. And we had to evolve this metabolic machinery mm-hmm. to take our stored fuel, fat, out of storage and burn it and live. And not just live like, like oh, my God, when's the next meal? But thrive. <laughs> right. Just go, hey, it's no big deal. Right. I'll, I, I got to get some food. But, I'm, but my life isn't like, oh. You know, where's the next meal going to be? And I don't exactly. think I can make it. But in fact, it was just it was just a pattern of human behavior. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the biggest things for me that I noticed. It, it, I've probably been eating the way that that we talk about eating, and you know, the windows or the the intermittent fasting, however you want to define it. Um, it's probably been four or five years, but but before that, it was the six, seven, sometimes nine meals a day, the bodybuilding style. The bodybuilding stuff, you know, Tupperware all the time. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's like you know, if you were eating every two or three hours, you'd get to that like thirty minutes before your next meal, and then all of a sudden you're like you're worthless for the next thirty minutes until you know your body knows it needs that next, and and when it's when it's almost time for that next meal. You know, it's it's almost like everything shuts down until you're, you know, the next 20 or 30 minutes. And then it's like, okay, it's time to eat. And now I can go live again. And that's just, for me, that was, you know, back to what we were saying earlier. It's not wrong. It's just, that's not how I want to go through life. Yeah. And, and again, you know, we, we talk about the, the, the bodybuilding sort of mentality and paradigm, which was always based on a sugar burner um, concept that that was, um, you didn't want to cannibalize all that precious muscle tissue that you'd spent time building in the gym, right? So when you're not good at burning fat, when you do run out of, of glycogen, yes, the body will look to, to try and find more sugar wherever it can. And the first place it goes to is the muscle tissue. So the, the sort of pattern that we would see, um, and which caused all the upset among the whole bodybuilding community was, uh, when you run low on glycogen, your uh, your adrenals start to uh, kick in, and then you create you generate cortisol, and the cortisol is uh, an emergency hormone that is intended, among other things, to help the body find more sugar. And the cortisol, basically, for lack of a better word, melts muscle tissue. It literally destroys muscle tissue because it wants to send a couple of amino acids to the liver to make more glucose, and that's just counterproductive if you're a endurance athlete. Now, if you're a good fat burner, that doesn't happen. If you're a good fat burner, you spare that. None of that whole cycle happens because you you don't run out of energy. You've got enough fat. You've got enough metabolic machinery to burn the fat. You've created this um, this uh, added benefit of being able to access ketones and to burn ketones, uh, which, which, um, which are sort of an alternative to glucose. Uh, the brain loves burning ketones almost more than it likes burning keto uh, than glucose, um, and and uh, so all of that 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 whole paradigm that and that whole mantra of oh never go two hours without eating something or you'll you'll cannibalize muscle tissue <laughs> right. was sort of was all founded on 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 a sugar uh, burning paradigm, not on a fat burning paradigm. Yeah, right, right, yeah, right. And I mean, I, I've continued to lift. I, I think I'm 
in most ways stronger, uh, can go longer and, and carry more muscle now than, than I did then. Uh, the exception being one short period of time where I ate eight enormous meals a day in an effort to just simply gain as much weight as I could. I know it's, that's the, I, th- that whole, you were in a, you were in a, in a, in a mass, in a gaining phase, right? Yeah, in a mass exactly. phase and not in a cutting phase. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's that. And by the way, that kind of stuff, um, is rampant in the sort of bodybuilding community. And it's also pretty prevalent now in the, in the, the, the millennial group that's trying to put on muscle mass, but that puts a enormous burden on, mm-hmm. on the body. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're young, you can shake that off and it's not a, not that big a deal, but, but we we're finding now that, um, six small meals a day sort of predisposes you to getting type two diabetes, right? You're constantly having these waves of, of insulin and, and blood sugar swings, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. Right. Six, six times a day you're, you're secreting insulin uh, to, yep. to deal with this carbohydrate load. Exactly. All right. Well, Mark, let's talk a little bit about primal endurance, the new book. Um, I know you don't want to give away everything because we want people to go buy a book. Um, but, one of the things that, that you list as, as a bullet point, um, if it's not on the cover of the book, it's, it's on the, the page that, that describes the book. But, but I think this was something that really jumped out to me because it's, it's, as I alluded to earlier, it's where I am personally in my transition. I think you're on the other side of this transition. But you talk about uh, training inconsistently. So a lot right. of times when we talk about building habits and, and making changes, we want to be consistent. I think you're talking about somebody who's, you know, trying to break that pattern of being the, the type A, oh my God, if I don't get my workout in, I'm, I'm not going to do this or, or you know, the world's going to fall apart. Um, tell us a little bit about that philosophy and, and how your approach is going to help people have more fun, um, be a little bit more spontaneous and even get better results. Right. Well, for the longest time, you know, the people assumed that in order to be better at endurance racing, that you had to craft a training strategy that had you um, plotting the next six months, right? Here's what's going to happen every day for the next six months. Monday, we're going to do this. Tuesday, we're going to do this. Uh, and there wasn't a lot of, um, of assessment on a day-to-day basis of how you're feeling. So what we try to teach in the primal endurance training strategy is this intuitive ability to, uh, to give yourself a, uh, some leeway to make choices on the fly. So you may say, well, tomorrow I'm planning on doing you know, a hard day in the gym. And you wake up tomorrow and, and you're just not feeling it, it's it's perfectly okay to say, you know what, today's not the day to go to the gym. I'll I'll skip I'll make today a rest day. I'll go um I'll go to the gym tomorrow or I'll do something else. But the ability to um to intuitively uh assess your condition, to make ch- these choices on the fly, to not be beholden to a training pattern or a training style, uh, because the body doesn't you know, you may outline a great a great training strategy that that ingrains in you this ability to get up and do it no matter what and and uh you know and and feel good about having done the workout even if you didn't feel that great but in fact the bad, the body doesn't doesn't improve on a linear basis it improves quite fractally it improves sporadically and so we sort of make a a comment that um that the best way to get consistent good results is to be inconsistent with your training but to understand why that is and to and to be able to um, adjust on the fly. So that's, that's the essence of that, uh, statement. And that's more of a belief system or, or a mental mindset shift than anything, right? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I, the, the number of people who go to CrossFit 
gyms and do, you know, these, they, they're, um, they, they pray at the altar of the wad, right? And they are doing whatever, um, whatever the wad is for the day. And some days they feel good and some days they don't, but, uh, they're not adjusting their workout, uh, to themselves. They're, they're sort of adapting to, uh, a, a daily routine and a, and a plan of action that's put up on a whiteboard for them for that day. And I think you get in trouble doing that over time. I think you, you know, you, you need to, everybody needs to adjust their training program to their own personal uh, lifestyle, to, you know, your work schedule, to uh, your family schedule, to your goals. And how serious are you about, about improving to, um, you know, the, the, the exposure you had last week to a serious cold and flu that was going around. And, and, you know, if you, if you, dig deep and, and fight through that workout today that was on the plan, but you didn't feel like it. Maybe that's what puts you over the edge and takes you out for three weeks with a cold and, exactly. and a cough. So yeah. it's, you know, we, we talk about periodization, about the fact that the body not only really can improve linearly, it doesn't want to improve linearly. And so we ratchet up our fitness. We go a couple of weeks and then we ratchet up the fitness and then we back off for a couple of weeks. And we find ways to have more fun and we find ways to kind of get ready to make the next major uh, breakthrough. Um, but we do it in a way that's that's uh, fractal and sporadic and inconsistent. But but the underlying theme is that we're consistently getting better and better mm. with the, with those few workouts that we require, um, because, you know, you, you don't you don't get better from doing from working out every single day. There's maybe one or two workouts you could do a, a, in a week possibly that would actually cause you cause the body to to want to get better the rest of them are just kind of covering you know covering bases and 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 marking time um and and they're not going to really improve your fitness it's just one or two key workouts that'll improve your fitness over time and we just have to be ready and and fit to do those workouts and healthy and fit and and primed to do those workouts to get the benefits so the the approach that that you're referring to this inconsistency is something that uh, I have a couple of strength coach friends who who call this um, auto-regulation. That's always been the word that I use for it, to be able to take these real-time measurements of, you know, like you said, if, if there's increased stress, if you've been traveling, um, you know, if I've been sitting in a plane for two days, you know, I'm not going to go try to deadlift a, a new PR. You know, my low back and my hamstrings are just not there to do that. And, and all I'm going to do is dig myself a hole that will take longer to recover from and set me back more than if I just said, okay, well, today's not the day for a PR deadlift. Let me do some, some lighter work and come back, live to fight another day and, and, and keep this, this thing moving forward as a whole. Um, yeah. I mean, there's also, there are people who, and I used to know a lot of them who, if they were on a plane for two days, if they were traveling halfway around the world to get to a race would, would just go crazy if they couldn't work out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you see people doing, um, uh, doing, five mile runs around the airport, uh, from terminal to terminal waiting for the next plane. And, you know, that's like, okay. Um, that's because that's somebody who's so paranoid about losing fitness. They can't go, they can't go a day or two without training. Well, when I travel now and I travel a fair amount more than I actually want, would prefer, but I just, I don't work out. You know, I might, I might bang off, uh, three sets of 50 pushups in my hotel room, uh, but that, and that might be the extent of my entire workout for three or four days, but I've gotten so comfortable with my level of fitness and my ability to, to reaccess it that I, I reframe those days as recovery days. So yeah. if I'm on the road traveling, I say, Oh, 
great. I'm going to take a forced recovery day because yep. if I didn't force myself to take this recovery day, I might be thinking, oh, I better get to the gym and, 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 you know, and do another one. So it's that ability to also to adapt to a real human 21st century, you know, work schedule mm-hmm. um, and not go crazy because you're, you're cause you guilt yourself for having missed two days in a row or three days in a row. Give us some of your other travel hacks. I know you do travel a lot. So what are some things you do when you're away from home, uh, aside, you know, other than just resting? Um, how do you stay? Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the main thing I do when I travel is, is, a, uh, is a jet lag hack, which is the second I get on the plane, I, I, I set my watch for the time where I'm going to be, where we're going to be arriving. And then I, I make certain that whatever, however amount of sleep I want to get on the plane or if I want to stay up on the plane, that when I get to where I'm going to be, when I get to the eventual destination, I'm on their schedule when we arrive. So if I get in at um, five o'clock at night, I'm fully ready to go to bed at, at uh, you know, at 10 p.m. Uh, and I, I do take melatonin. That's another um, supplement that I use um, religiously when I travel. I reset my my internal uh, clock with melatonin. I'll take six milligrams the first night, six the second night, and then three the third night, and then I'm pretty much adjusted. Uh, so, because I, I think the thing that suffers most when we travel is sleep for a lot of people. So I just don't let that happen. So I've I've never been at the effect of jet lag. I'm I'm just people are like um, pretty much um, uh, they marvel at my ability to adjust immediately <laughs> to the time zone. Right. Um, also, when I travel, I don't. Uh, you know, I, I make a joke that I can find something to eat at any restaurant in the world. Um, if it's not grass fed, if it's not line caught, if it's not, you know, a hundred percent organic, is that going to, you know, turn me off entirely? No. I mean, you don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, I can always find something to eat in any restaurant. And, uh, so that's not, you know, people say, well, I hate to travel because I can't, you know, they're, they're, it's so impossible to eat on the road. I don't think it's impossible to eat on the road. I think it's fine. Right. Okay. Yeah. Now, one question on that melatonin. Do you take that both directions? So like when you come home, do you take it nights one, two, three again coming home? Well, yeah. So, you know, because because this is – it depends on where – If have I gone east to Europe or have I gone west to, to, to Asia? Um, you know, there's still – so coming home isn't really – uh, relevant because it, it does depend. It does partly depend on the on the method of travel, um, but I yeah I absolutely take it um, both directions. Okay. To reset, yeah. Okay. And I you know if I'm going three hours, if I'm going to um, to the east coast from California, it's I don't I don't even use melatonin. It's three hours is not what I would call a significant uh, time lag. I just like I say, I immediately set my watch. Um, I was in um, you know Montreal two weeks ago. It's a three hour time difference. Um, by the time I get to Montreal, my body already thought that it was, it already absorbed the three hours. And so when, even though in, when 1030 PM rolled around and my body should have said at 730 back in California, man, I was ready for bed. I slept like a baby, got up early and had meetings all the next day. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, East West, I still think it's important to, um, to be cognizant of what that potential jet lag could do to your body and then, uh, make certain it doesn't do that. Okay. I like that one. I haven't heard the uh, set your watch as soon as you get on the plane one. So I like that. Yeah. Mark, what other, uh, you mentioned being excited about, you know, the potential for, for breakthroughs with uh, the ketosis and, and, and all these things that we talked about for, for endurance performance. What else is, is in our 
ancestral health um, movement that has you excited? What's what's on the the, the horizon? Well, I you know I think this I think the the use of cyclic ketogenic diets in medicine um, are are very uh, fascinating and encouraging and, and promising, um, and I think once again to extend that to uh, the average uh, citizenry trying to lose weight. So the use of that cyclic ketogenic diet as a, as a weight loss tool, not to live in ketosis, but just to use mm-hmm. a few days in, a few days out mm-hmm. as, a, uh, as a strategy uh, is a great way of, of, um, uh, of being able to lose weight and reconfigure your, your energy requirements and your metabolic requirements. Uh, so I, I think that's very exciting. I mean, I still think that the gut biome and the the idea that um, you know ninety percent of our uh, of our immune system resides in the gut mm-hmm. that uh, a lot of our energy conversion happens as a result of uh, soluble fiber that is being converted into uh, short chain fatty acids by by little beasts that live in the gut the fact that eighty to to ninety percent of the cells in our body are not us but are but are bacteria that's a whole frontier that we just started exploring about two years ago, but we're, we barely scratch the surface. So I'm, I'm, I'm all over that. Um, what, what tips, else? what tips would you give somebody to, um, optimize their, their gut biome? Um, so lot, uh, a couple of things, um, the consumption of, um, of decent sources of fiber and people, sometimes it's sort of interesting. People say, well, Mark, you're, when you're low carb, um, you're automatically low fiber. And I go, well, no, I mean, <laughs> You know, I'm taking in a, uh, you know, a crap ton of vegetables every day, and I still keep my total carb intake under 100, 120 grams a day. But I'm eating, um, you know, a couple servings of uh, broccoli or Brussels sprouts or salads or whatever. I'm getting plenty of fiber from that, and that fiber is what's feeding those healthy bacteria in my gut. Um, so, making sure that you, that you do include vegetables, even if you're on a low carb program, you can you can eat. More, far more vegetables than you think. Um, number two, if you cut the sugars down, the sugars are what are what typically feed sort of the the unhealthy bacteria more than yep. they feed the healthy ones. So right. if you cut the sugars down, which again we said from the beginning of the show is uh, a, is a great strategy for anyone to begin with. Um, I make and take um, an awesome probiotic, um, Primal Probiotics, the a product that I've made because I've been a big fan of probiotics for twenty years. Um, I. Uh, so I'm, the probiotics that I take are extremely powerful. They are uh, sort of soil-based in nature. They're they're in a form uh, that's in a spore form, okay. uh, as opposed to some live culture. So they right. they come alive in your gut, and they these are ones that you can't aren't necessarily prevalent in great numbers in our gut biome, but they they sort of signal. Um, the other bacteria to upregulate and downregulate. So, hmm. a very, very cool product that I'm elegant product, as I like to say. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I don't think I've heard of one that way before. Yeah, there's no other. There's no product like it on the market. Um, and I don't. I haven't made a big. It's been out. This product is. I designed it about two years ago, and it's been out for about two, for about two years, and it does very well. But I don't. You know, so many things that I'm talking about in terms of my products, I, I haven't really made the big splash about it yet but yeah it's called primal probiotics okay very cool i'll get you some ryan all right i'd love to take it i I like the idea of probiotics but my problem with with taking them as a supplement is that most of the time like you mentioned if if they're in the form of live cultures 
if you, if you get the ones that are affordable, it's probably low quality. And, and even the ones that are high quality, you don't know about the transportation of them. So even if you go to the local health store and it's in a refrigerator, you know, how long did it take to get from manufacturer to there? Was it yeah. in a, was it in a tractor oh, exactly, trailer? Exactly. Baking so, many in the sun? Of these have to be, so many of these have to be refrigerated. Um, and that was, that was one of the benefits of these spore formers is that right. they don't have to be refrigerated. So they stay stable on the shelf for, you know, two years. Um, and they, they are, um, they are awakened by the uh, ingestion and the acids in the stomach. I like it. I like it. So my, my trick to get around that is I eat fermented vegetables every day. Uh, and I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think I'm a, I'm a huge fan of fermented vegetables. Um, you know, I love kombuchas. I love, you know, all of the, um, the cultured ways that we can get mm-hmm. some of these uh, healthy bacteria for sure. But I'm just not around those uh, on a daily basis. So, right. um, you know, uh, right. and one of the things that affects the health of the, uh, of the gut is stress. And a lot of people are under a lot of stress, secreting a lot of cortisol. And that's got a sort of devastating yeah. Uh, impact on the health of the gut biome as well. There's actually, so, there, there's new research uh, showing that most of our serotonin, I think as much as 90% of serotonin is actually yep. produced in the gut, which is an interesting kind of double-edged sword. If, if you are stressed, then you're, you're negatively impacting that, um, which, you know, that's a problem because serotonin is what helps us deal with stress. And, yeah, no, and serotonin is the sort of feel-good neurotransmitter. So right. absolutely, a uh, uh, good point that you make there about that. Uh, some large percent of serotonin being made manufactured in the gut. Yeah. So Mark, we got a couple of quick questions for you. One, um, well, maybe not quick. It's a short question. You may have a long answer. Um, (laughs) what is the one thing, if you could go back to being 25, what's the one thing you wish you knew then that you know today? Um, everything's going to be okay. That no matter what, uh, impediments, no matter what hurdles I face, um, you know, this too shall pass. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to be good. Uh, don't stress so much at 25 about what you want to be when you grow up. Don't get so caught up in, um, in, in those sorts of goals, but, you know, certainly have short-term goals, but don't be, cause I, I sort of spent a lot of my early, uh, years thinking I should be this, I should be that. I, you know, I was a pre-med in college and I decided not to become a, a doctor cause I was, a good marathoner and I, I put off med school for three years to train for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And by the time that process was over, I decided not to go to med school and I kind of beat myself up for a while thinking, well, you know, I should have been a doctor. That's well, you know, now at the age of 62, I think that's the best decision I ever made. Right. So, uh, you know, anyway, again, like you, like you predicted, Ryan, long winded answer to a short question. I don't think that was the answer that anybody was expecting, though. That's a great yeah. answer. I, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Um, where can people find more of you? Um, MarkStaleyApple.com is the blog uh, every day for 10 years. Going In September, it'll be 10 years. That's uh, impressive. Since. Yeah, thanks. And uh, so MarkStaleyApple, PrimalBlueprint.com is the, is the e-com site uh, where we sell our mayonnaise and our salad dressings that are the new, now the the new entree into the world of food, the healthiest sauces, dressings, and toppings you can possibly find. Mm-hmm. We also have a, uh, a bar, um, the dark chocolate almond bar. That's a great delivery system for collagen has more collagen than a cup of bone broth. We, we tasted those bars at Expo West. They're awesome. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah. Um, 
Hey, you know, you've got a restaurant too, right? You're, you're, or is this well, we're, down we're, the road? We're, we're in the process of uh, creating a, a restaurant, Primal Kitchen Restaurant. Uh, we've actually have a franchise company. We sold several franchises already. Um, and then my, my children, my kids and I are getting ready to open one in the Los Angeles area, but we're still in the process. We're about a day away from signing a lease on a space mm-hmm. and, and, uh, uh, that kind of fell through, so oh. we're getting ready to open one in Los Angeles very soon. So the world will know when that's when okay. that's ready. That's really yeah. cool. I look forward to that. Um, Thank you. All right, Mark. Before we let you go, every guest that comes on the show has to answer this question. We want to know your top three tips to live optimal. Uh, top three tips to live optimal: um, uh, eat right. I mean, that's a broad. That's definitely a broad one, but um, that's cutting the sugars and the oils and the. Uh, uh, you know, the refined grains, that's number one. Uh, number two, find ways to move throughout the day as often as you can. I have a stand up desk. I'm moving around. I've been pacing my room, uh, ever since we lost our video, uh, because that's what I do when I'm on a phone call. That's what I do too. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, and I don't wear a Fitbit, so I'm not counting my steps because I think that's, I, I remember you talking about that on the Joe Rogan podcast. That, I, I laughed. That was yeah. funny. So, so, so find ways to move. Yeah. Um, and, and I was going to say sleep number three, but, um, now I'm going to change that to, uh, just you talk about how do we, how do we uh, live optimally? And I'm going to say, find as many opportunities in every moment of every day to extract as much enjoyment, satisfaction, contentment, fulfillment, pleasure as you possibly can. That is sagely advice. So for you guys listening, uh, remember, Every purchase, uh, this is going to come out Thursday, from Thursday to Thursday, every purchase this week at naturalstacks.com uh, enters you to win a copy of Mark's book. I've been sitting on this, uh, I meant to hold it up a couple of times and forgot. This is Primal Blueprint, Primal Endurance is the new one. We'll have three copies of each of those autographed by Mark, get them sent to you guys. Uh, like I said, every purchase is an entry. Um, make sure you head to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the video version of this, uh, as well as links to Mark's websites, all the cool stuff that we talked about. And if you have not done so, please go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Let us know how much you like the show and share the optimal performance podcast with anybody that you can think of who will benefit from what we have talked about here on this show. Mark, sincerely, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. And, uh, thank you for providing all this valuable information uh, on our show and through your site, as you mentioned, 10 years my, every day. Yeah, my pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for having <laughs> me. Natural Stack. Start optimizing your mental and physical performance. Optimize yourself.